listening to Green State, a podcast by the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, the agency responsible for restoring, maintaining, and enhancing the quality of Oregon's air, land, and water. to Green State. I'm Lauren Wordis, and this is a podcast about how DEQ is protecting your air, land, and water. And my wonderful co-host Dylan Darling would typically be jumping in here, but he is actually out for a while because his adorable daughter was born in late August. So I will be solo for a couple episodes until Dylan is back. This month on Green State, we're talking about something that I think is interesting to a lot of folks, which is essentially answering the questions, how do you really know the facilities you regulate are complying with the law? And what do you do if you find out they aren't? Can DEQ ever shut a facility down? To answer these questions, we're going on a two-episode journey that covers complaints, inspections, and enforcement. This episode will cover complaints, the inspections that might result from them, as well as inspections that happen for all facilities that DEQ regulates. You may or may not know that DEQ has a complaint system where you can tell us about pollution issues you see. As you'll hear one of our guests say, we really rely on the public for support to help be our eyes and ears because it's not possible for DEQ staff to be everywhere at once. I had a great conversation with the staff that manage the complaint system, follow up on these complaints, and regularly inspect facilities to ensure they're complying with their permits. I realized in the midst of the interview with them that all the inspectors happen to be in the water quality program or deal with water quality complaints and inspections. That's kind of a pure coincidence, but it is also sort of a nice follow-up to last month's episode on DEQ's water quality program in general. If you haven't listened to that, check it out. But this discussion provides another perspective on how we protect water quality as well as air and land. Let's get into the conversation. We start off with introductions of the various DEQ staff. Hi, I'm Brian Smith, and I work for DEQ as our Complaints Program Coordinator. My name is Bill Myers with DEQ. My official title is Rogue Basin Coordinator, and I work on surface water issues within the Rogue River watershed located in Southwest Oregon. Hi, my name is Michael Kennedy. My pronouns are he, him, his. I work in the stormwater program in the Northwest region of Oregon out of the Portland office. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin Sturger. I'm a water quality permit writer and compliance inspector in DEQ's eastern region. And right now I serve as the team lead for our section. And I've been with DEQ for three and a half years. And I work out of the Bend office. Great. Well, thank you all for being here today. And I think we're going to start with complaints to kind of um, explore this topic from the complaints to inspection side, and then from the permit to inspection side. So, um, Brian, starting with complaints, what is the purpose of DEQ's complaints program? DEQ's complaints program gives members of the public the opportunity to conveniently inform DEQ about pollution they observe and are concerned about through the use of either an online form or a free 1-800 number. Complaints from the public are valuable because DEQ staff can't always be present to observe potential environmental problems as they are occurring. So the complaints program lets members of the public help us more quickly identify and resolve those problems. Our complaints program is also utilized by other Oregon agencies 
who encounter environmental problems during the course of their work. Uh, one thing people should know about the complaints program is that DEQ does accept both anonymous and confidential complaints. Anonymous complaints are a bit more difficult to handle because with them, DEQ staff don't get the chance to contact the complainant to ask for more information. And this can make it harder for staff to respond effectively. So for this reason, asking to be confidential might be a better option as that way DEQ can protect your identifying information but also have the opportunity to gather more information that might be necessary to locate the problem and address it. That's a really good point, Brian, and a good distinction. And so what types of complaints does DEQ typically address? The most common complaints are about unusual pollution from a facility, mismanagement of asbestos and hazardous waste, the release of harmful chemicals, pollution or sewage to the ground surface or to waters of the state, construction or other activity that's causing a stream or river to become murky, illegal dumping sites, outdoor burning on days when it's illegal to burn, or the burning of illegal materials, such as demolition materials, rubber, plastic, tires, or really anything that causes dense smoke or noxious odors. Got it. And so what are then the most common complaints you all get that DEQ does not address? Uh, that's a really good question. Thanks for asking it. On our online website and on the 1-800-PHONE message, we try to mention those issues specifically, and we also mention the appropriate agency for these issues so that we can direct the public to the right agency right away. However, people do regularly submit complaints to DEQ for issues we don't have authority to address. So some of those most common complaints we refer to other agencies might surprise people. And one of those is indoor air quality issues. Those often involve complaints about mold, mildew, radon, formaldehyde, tobacco smoke, or furnaces. And those kinds of indoor air quality complaints are actually under the jurisdiction of the Oregon Health Authority. We also receive lots of complaints about local issues, such as illegal dwellings, abandoned recreational vehicles, noise, restaurant or wood stove smoke, and houseless camping. But those kinds of complaints need to be handled at the local level of code enforcement, usually through the city or the county where the incident is taking place. In some cases, DEQ staff are in partnerships with local code enforcement to clean up certain locations. And some DEQ staff even meet regularly with local officials to efficiently address environmental problems, as we all have a shared interest in keeping the environment clean. Uh, one last category would be complaints about wildfire smoke or prescribed burns of forests to prevent wildfires. And those kinds of complaints we refer over to the Oregon Department of Forestry. Similarly, complaints about the outdoor burning of legal materials on state-allowed burn days should be directed to local fire departments, as DEQ does not have jurisdiction over legal outdoor burning. And finally, we do get complaints about odor from hemp farms, and those get referred to the Oregon Department of Agriculture while odors from cannabis farms or processing facilities get referred to the Oregon Liquor Control Commission as those are the agencies that regulate those industries. Great. Well, thanks for providing some clarity around that. And um, so it sounds like between the complaints we do address and the complaints we don't address, we're probably getting a lot of complaints. So how many complaints would you estimate we get in a year? Uh, that's another good question. We do keep busy. And over the past uh, 
11 or 12 years, we've had an electronic database that lets us keep track of the complaints and get a number. And in general, we get between three and 4,000 complaints a year. But it's important to note that that statistic only counts the number of complaints that are actually entered into our complaints database and assigned a unique number. We get many more complaints that don't even get into the database, but that come in through the phone or the email to DEQ staff and are then either resolved without becoming an official complaint or they get referred to other agencies to handle without ever even being entered into the database. So it's impossible to give an exact figure. And um, how would folks submit their complaint? And then when they're doing that, how can they be the most helpful to you and all the folks who work to respond to complaints to make that easier to respond to? Sure, I can explain that process. So as I mentioned earlier, we have an online form that people can use to fill out uh, to submit their complaint. And People can get to that form if they just type DEQ Oregon file complaint in their search bar. It'll take you right to the the page with that form. And we also have a free phone number. And that phone number is 1-888-997-7888. However, that said, we prefer that people use the online form because the form has a set of questions that allow people to give DEQ the information we will need to respond to the complaint. So for that reason, we really do encourage people to use the online form if that's at all possible. Uh, and if that isn't possible, you can definitely get in touch with a DEQ staff person who will fill out the online form for you to make sure the complaint can be handled. Great. Well, thanks so much. That's really helpful information. And uh, then Bill uh, is with us today and is one of the people who then responds to the complaints that come in through the system that Brian was just describing. And so, Bill, what does it look like on your end once someone has submitted a complaint? Um, thanks, Lauren. I get a basic form or a connection to our complaints database um, that has some pretty basic elements in it. So um, what is a complaint? Um, complaints that come to me, I work in the water quality program. So Complaints that come to me are typically um, something has been discharged into a stream, a river, or a pond, or is likely to get into those waterways. Um, Other information is where is it, Um, typically in the form of an address, maybe a tax lot number, um, even a GPS location. Then as much information as can be provided as to who is responsible. Um, Do you know the landowner? Um, Did you get the business name off of that truck that you saw? The more information that we can get, the better. Um, That helps us be more more efficient and more effective. Um, For the complaints that come in, most of the time, I will call the complainant back for more information. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so you're saying you respond to um, these water quality complaints. About how many do you get in a year? And is... Do you ever see any patterns um, in kind of how those complaints come in, you know, when it rains a lot or just kind of curious about how they show up? That's a really good question. Um, in the water quality program in Southwest Oregon, so that's in the Rogue Basin, we typically get 50, 50 to 60 complaints per year. Um, and they come in, you know, it's one or two complaints per week. However, um, we typically get more complaints in the fall when it's raining. And then also in late spring, I think when people are out and about, 
and they've got questions about things that they're seeing. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you kind of described, you know, the, the bit of information that does come into you in the form of this form that's been filled out by folks or a voicemail. After that, how easy or hard is it to sort of track down the complaint? I'm imagining that someone could see something in a stream or pollution in the air that concerns them. But like, by the time you get there, that those same conditions might not be present. That tends to happen a lot. Um, Tracking down the source of, let's say, brown sediment laden water that can harm fish and wildlife is tough. Um, But we can usually figure it out, especially if it's happening again and again. Um, That's where I'll work with the complainant. Um, You know, we go out the first time we take a look, we don't see it. If it happens again, please give me a call. You know, where did you see it? When did you see it? It's as important to know where you didn't see it as well as where you did see it. So that helps us narrow down the the reach of the stream where the pollution is occurring. Um, DEQ then collaborates with other agencies to figure out what activities might be taking place in the area. Like I said, in most cases, we will figure it out. We'll figure out the source. Hey, hey Lauren, can I jump in with a, a little anecdote onto that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love that, Mike. Um, I, I don't work complaints as much as I used to, but sometimes these complaints, they, they don't turn out quite the way that you expect. And for an example, we a couple of years ago got a, a complaint from a city up here in the northwest region of a construction site discharging a lot of sediment to a stream. And when we went to check that out, uh, we noticed uh, that there, there wasn't any evidence of it occurring, but we saw a lot of sedimentation in the in the uh, substrate of the of the stream. So we started walking in the water upstream, and we we found the construction site, and there was a bridge over the creek, and there were some guys sitting on the bridge, and uh, so we asked them. You know, we, they were quite surprised when we just appeared out of nowhere, right? Um, and they're like, "No, it's it's not us," and this happens a lot. This happens several times a year. And then the homeowner came out and said, yeah, why are they blaming us for it? It's the city. So um, we started walking up the stream a little bit more with this new information. And what we ended up finding in the course of our investigation is the city had numerous catchments up in the headwaters of this creek for drinking water. And they would go through and effectively blast out to clean these dams, releasing huge amounts of sediment multiple times a year that would silt in the creek. So these investigations can go way out into space. They don't always uh, end up being what uh, what you think they're going to be. It can be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you gave a really good example there of sort of literally sort of following the trail um, to figure out exactly what the source of pollution is. And I was wondering for complaints... After, after there's been a complaint and you find out what the source is, kind of what is your path to enforcement and does it always sort of look the same? What happens if it's just, you know, a private property owner and they happen to be doing something and don't know they shouldn't be doing it? How does that sort of play out in terms of enforcement? When we're talking enforcement actions, um, it really depends on the type of violation. So oftentimes... With landowners, um, we will provide technical assistance. So give some guidance and some advice. Um, we may issue a warning letter with corrective actions. There's no penalty associated with that, 
Um, however, the property owner is required to correct whatever that pollution source is and fix it. So not all of our enforcement actions result in a monetary penalty. However, when needed, we do have that ability to issue monetary penalties. And it's, it's important to point out that we in the, in the water quality program and in the agency as a whole, we have what's called the staff enforcement guidance, which helps direct us uh, for what type of violation gets what type of response. So if someone is causing pollution uh, to waters of the state, it could be a lower level of a pollution discharge or a high level of pollution discharge. Um, the effect of that can also drive the outcome of that enforcement action. That that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure it's good to have guidance just, you know, to help all of you do your jobs and to make sure that there's consistency across the state. And of course, we'll be getting into that more in the next episode when we talk to um, our enforcement folks. So yeah, so Brian and Bill, thanks so much for kind of detailing out the complaints to inspection side. And then Mike, you're sort of our, our hybrid person and, um, and also do, you know, permit and inspections and those sorts of things. So I'm wondering if you, Mike and Justin, can um, describe how your jobs differ from what Bill and Brian were describing. Yeah, Lauren, if it's okay, Mike, I'll, uh, I'll start. So our jobs differ a little bit, or at least mine does, in that my primary work is with facilities that are under an active permit or that are, are applying for a permit. Uh, I'm an assigned compliance staff person to a number of uh, permits. We have uh, about 320 in the eastern region that I work with. Um, and those facilities might get a complaint about them and we investigate that complaint. Um, they also may self-report violations. So we do investigations based on not just complaints, but self-reporting by the permittee. But complaints, I would say, come up for our group probably just a couple times a month. And so our primary workload is not complaint investigation, at least in the wastewater permit world, but it's mostly through compliance issues through the monitoring reporting required by, by our permits. But I, and I also work with inspectors of other programs like our stormwater folks, Mike and I go out on inspections together and we work with our solid waste and air quality staff uh, to make sure that we're addressing things from a cross media collaboration perspective. And we also, of course, still regularly work with our Office of Compliance and Enforcement uh, when we need to issue violations or need to work with them on interpretation of our guidance uh, and actually sometimes take formal enforcement action. I think a, a really good way to look at it, one of the big differences is the complaints side of things typically is focusing on a non-permitted pollution source. But when you have a facility that has a permit or you have a construction site that has a permit, that permit is a vehicle for them to discharge a set limit of pollution because every activity is going to generate some level of something that, that runs off of their site. So through the, the permits, they set these limits or they set benchmarks uh, that have to be met. And some of the um, enforcement that comes out of that is because of an exceedance of those standards. Uh, for the industrial sites, they're a little more long-term, so they've got a little more skin in the game to keep things clean. Um, so we don't really get very many complaints about industrial activities. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a helpful distinction. And so I was wondering what 
what kinds of inspections you all are doing. And I guess I'm going to start with, I think most people might imagine an inspection being something that is a surprise to, you know, especially someone who holds a permit. Are DEQ inspections usually announced and people know they're about to happen or unannounced in a surprise or a combination of the two? So uh, I I live in two different stormwater worlds, the industrial side of stormwater and the construction side of stormwater, and they are vastly different. Construction sites are, uh, they're, they're short-lived, and the industrial side of things are more long-term. You know, a facility can be there 50, 60, 70 plus years. All these facilities, when they, when they receive permit coverage and they've signed for their permit, they are, are acknowledging that staff has the right to access their site at any reasonable time to determine compliance. Um, when we do inspections for these uh, construction sites, we don't provide any advanced warning. Uh, we just show up and see what we see. And we document what we see on that day. And that is how we respond to any violations that we find. For industrial sites, we want people to be there that we can talk to that are knowledgeable about how they're implementing their permit requirements. But we also don't want to provide so much of a notice that they have time to run around and clean everything up, right? Because we still want to see how they're implementing what they're supposed to be implementing because there's a housekeeping component. There is a minimizing exposure to pollutant component. And if they have a, a wide advance notice, they can run around and clean all that up. So what I do is I typically send them an email at about four o'clock the day before that says, I'll be there in the morning. Please make sure you're there and all your documents are there. Have a good night. See you tomorrow. And uh, that that doesn't really give anybody the opportunity to clean up. You can really see when when somebody's tried to go out there with a broom or they, they put out some new absorbent materials, mm-hmm. you know that they did something before I got there but they weren't able to clean the entire site in preparation for that. And that's what we want to see. We want to see what they're doing, not what they're doing to prepare for us. Got it. And then when you're out on these inspections, um, how often do you do them, uh, particularly when it comes to sort of those like longstanding facilities? And what what is it that you're looking for? We are a delegated authority um, under the Clean Water Act. And what that means is the the Clean Water Act is our is our, our main governing law, and that's through the EPA. And the EPA has delegated us authority to implement the Clean Water Act in the state of Oregon. We have performance targets that we have to meet from the EPA, meaning a percentage of our permitted sites must be inspected each year. Um, so from uh, the beginning of the federal fiscal year to the end, we have a set amount of sites that we have to go to. We typically don't change that unless we get a complaint about somebody, but you can guarantee every time we show up somewhere, someone thinks they've been complained on. So I, I usually have to say, no, I didn't get a complaint. You know, it's just your lucky day. Go buy a lottery ticket. Right. Um, <laughs> for a construction site, we're looking for, are they keeping it clean? Are they keeping erosion to a minimum? Are they, um, if you have like a 20 acre site, making sure they're not grading the entire thing and creating a huge erosion source and that all of their controls that they put in place are actually functioning. Uh, sometimes we find that people have put things out and it's all cosmetic. Like they bought it, they bought the material, they went through with all that, but they never installed it correctly. And if it's not installed correctly, it doesn't work. So we have to make sure that that stuff that they actually spent money on, which is really expensive, is installed right, functioning, and meeting the conditions of the permit. 
And I'll add for our program, our inspections are typically announced. And part of that is, as Mike alluded to, for industrial sites, we need to make sure staff are present that have knowledge of the facility operations. But we can do inspections that are unannounced or that could be triggered through a complaint. Um, but what we look for in our site visits, too, is uh, inspection of the permit compliance. We start uh, from the facility beginning to end point, typically, uh, for a treatment plant and site operations at an industrial site. We want to look at where they're generating all their wastewaters <clears throat> and essentially look at uh, their processing operations, anywhere they generate wastewater, anywhere they store that wastewater, where they might land apply it, and then ultimately their discharge locations that are authorized under their permit. Some of our site visits could take four to five hours. We've been on sites that could take eight hours to, to even two-day inspections where we're going out for really large industrial sites where we need to look at everything. And some of our wow. sites have multiple permits where we might collaborate with the other DEQ staff and go out and assess multiple permits and in single site visits. And those big joint inspections are tons of fun too. When you get when you get people out there from air quality, from solid ways, from uh, Justin's group and wastewater, from stormwater and my group, like, and then you have everybody on the other side, you have their, their entourage. Uh, those all day inspections can be really fun, really interesting. You learn a lot about the other programs. You learn a lot about the facility. You learn about processes that may or may not impact um, what you regulate in ways that you never even thought of. So they're, they're really helpful for everybody. Yeah, that sounds like a great system to have in place to just make sure, you know, that all of the different departments, like you're saying, you know, aren't working in silos that, you know, yeah, like, like you just described, Mike, that, you know, if something about solid waste is impacting something about water quality, and so it's great to have that coordination. And, and given what you're describing, this now feels like a question that could be really hard to answer. But um, how... Often, would you say that you find a violation? Well, I think the best way to answer that is when I don't find one, I let everybody know how excited I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, truth be told, when I do an inspection on a facility that I've never been to before, chances are I'm going to find a violation. And not all those result in a formal enforcement. Some of them just get a warning notice, and that's our opportunity to help them get into compliance. Uh, but construction sites are a little different. Those typically result in formal enforcement actions every time we go. But we, over the past couple of years, we've, we've noticed that, um, erosion control and permit compliance usually takes the back burner to what's going on on the site to get it built. I, I would add, Lauren, for our wastewater permits, we have a very high rate of issues that we find and violations we find on site. And as Mike said, those those can be things we might just issue a warning letter for or might issue an actual formal enforcement action. But unfortunately, we do have a pretty high rate of compliance issues that we find across our sites. Our permits are lengthy. They can have a lot of monitoring requirements, especially a NPDES permit assigned to a large facility, a major facility. Um, it is a lot for facilities to, to maintain and track compliance with. I'd say most of our facilities do try to do a good job, uh, but even at that, we do find issues out on site. And so our inspections are very good for us to go out and touch base with these facilities. But so, so we do look at these as, as frequently as we can, but we do identify violations at a lot of our inspections. 
You've talked a bit about, you know, the enforcement process and having guidance and that sort of thing. But the other thing I feel like I keep hearing you mention is also, you know, sort of warnings and technical assistance and really the drive to get people into compliance as a focus, you know, that these inspections are not our surprise kind of gotcha moment. They're just, you know, like, let's all be on the same page here and protect the environment. I'm curious what that technical assistance sort of looks like and um, what it is you find yourselves helping people with the most. You know, Lauren, a lot of the complaints that I'll get are materials that are stored in a place where it's likely to enter waters of the state. So that is considered a class two violation, um, as previously mentioned in our guidance. So that would warrant a warning letter and some corrective actions. So that's an opportunity for DEQ to provide some guidance, some technical assistance on some things that they can do. The landowner, we won't necessarily tell them what they have to do in terms of dealing with that material, but we can tell them what they can't do. And that is that material can't end up um, in the river or the stream you know, that's adjacent to the pile. So a lot of times it's, it's those types of discussions. Yeah. When, when you, um, when you look at this through the permitted lens, um, I, I want to be clear that these permits are not punitive actions. Um, they are designed, uh, to make sure that our shared resource, uh, our rivers, streams, lakes, wetlands, ocean are fishable, swimmable, drinkable, and enjoyable for all of us that live in Oregon. Right. With there's a special reason why we live here and our water is one of it. Um, so the, these permits have triggers in them and us as DEQ staff are here to help them meet those. When a facility uh, has an industrial permit, they are allowed to discharge certain levels of pollution. If they exceed what we call benchmarks, they have to take a corrective action. A lot of them will reach out to us, and some of them are even newly installed as the site environmental manager, asking, how do we do this? What do we do? You know, how do I get my zinc levels down? How do I get my copper levels down? And it's our job uh, to ask the question, well, what do you do out here? You know, what is your main industrial activity? You have all these things that are pollution sources that you wouldn't really think about. So we offer advice, you know, because if they continue to have exceedances, they have to do facility-wide advanced treatment systems to get that stuff out of the water so that it's not harming the waterways. So we do work very closely with our facilities to make sure that they're taking small steps along the way, making little tweaks here and there in their site process to make sure that they're bringing that pollution level down, number one, to keep the rivers clean, but number two, to, per to keep themselves from spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars installing facility-wide treatment for their stormwater system. And I'll add as well, um, we, we try to touch base with our permitted sources in the wastewater world for sure on a more frequent basis than just through the inspection process. So we have routine reports that are required to be submitted, but we'd reach out to facilities and we provide each permitted facility with a compliance contact that they can reach out to for questions about their permit. And we get calls, our staff, our team gets calls every week from facilities asking questions about their permits. Uh, the most successful facilities are ones that reach out to us in advance of having an issue, having Absolutely. a problem. And so the sites we hear from a lot are typically in really good shape. 
The sites we don't hear from very often, those are the ones we probably find compliance issues with more frequently on an inspection. Yeah, when it, when it comes to a permitted facility, the more they communicate with us, really the better off they are. They're asking questions, they're wanting to know our advice on things, their consultants are calling us. The ones who never reach out, or the ones who don't return calls, or the ones who don't submit their required reports, those are the ones that are going to land up on our inspection list. That's a, that's a good point, Mike. So when we craft our inspection uh, lists for each year, one of the things we do is actually plan our, our routine inspections to keep up with our EPA targets. If we have a facility that we know has had issues in the past or has reported some non-compliance to us uh, of, re- of late uh, or more recently, then we typically will want to add those to our inspection list to go out and actually touch base physically with that site take a look at their operations. So we do help guide our inspections around actually compliance issues or facilities where we might think there's a heightened issue uh, of non-compliance. I hope you all got as much out of that discussion as I did. Here is what I heard from the conversation in summary. One, DEQ gets a lot of complaints. The numbers Brian cited added up to 11 per day. Two, those complaints go to folks like Bill, who use technical assistance, warning letters, or enforcement as appropriate to follow up. Three, complaints really follows the trail and goes upstream to track down the sources of pollution. And at the same time, DEQ conducts inspections both announced and unannounced at permitted facilities to make sure they're complying with their permits. And last, DEQ does find violations, especially in large, complex facilities, but tries to offer a lot of resources to those facilities to ensure they have the best chance at compliance to protect our air, land, and especially in this episode, our water. And just one final comment from Mike Kennedy about the importance of your role in reporting pollution. Like, like he said, there's thousands and thousands of complaints that come in a year, and there's just a handful of us. So we need those eyes. We need those ears. So if they're taking photographs, if they're taking video, if they get a picture of the name of the boat, we have to do a lot of interviewing. It's it's really like environmental law and order, right? We're investigating what's going on. So um, if they collect a really good amount of information for us, sometimes we don't even have to go. So as you can see, the staff I talked with took us all the way up to the point of enforcement. And when it's time for a fine to actually be issued, that goes to our Office of Compliance and Enforcement. How enforcement works will be next time on Green State, and we'll be joined not just by DEQ enforcement, but EPA, as well as the Northwest Environmental Defense Center, an all-volunteer group of lawyers that tracks and advocates for environmental compliance. See you next time on Green State. Thank you for listening to Green State, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's podcast. And thanks to all the voices who contributed to the conversation. Our music is by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you get our upcoming episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. And if you have any questions or ideas for topics for us to cover, you can reach us at 503-451-0585 or by email at green.state.oregon.gov. To find out more, go to dequblog.com slash greenstate.